Good morning. Before we begin, I just, uh, you know, there's a few things that came to uh, me before service this morning. I thought, uh, I just think we need to pray about it. Is that okay if we pray first? Let's pray. Father God, I just come to you this day, God, because I know there are two folks in our midst, people that we care about deeply who have lost loved ones just uh, within the last 24 hours. God, I pray for them as they mourn the loss of their fathers. God, I ask you just to be with them. Uh, to continue to remind them of your faithfulness and your goodness, God. And even in the midst of questions of why or doubts or struggles, God, give us a sense of your reality, of your presence, God, that you are with us in every and any situation. And God, right now, as Miss Betty Anderson has been taken to the ER, God, we ask you to be with her, to watch over her, to give her your presence, to give her your healing and your strength. God, be with the doctors and the nurses and all those that are around her at this time. God, be with her in the midst of whatever is happening and whatever is going on, God, because we know you love her as your beloved daughter. So God, be with her and hold her in your hands and her family right now as they seek answers and uh, hope in you. So God, we lift up all these things in your most holy and precious name, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, this week we are continuing a series on Nehemiah. And uh, if I haven't gotten to meet you yet, my name is John. I get to be the teaching pastor here. If you're a guest with us here today, thanks so much for coming and hanging out with us. If you're joining us online, thanks for coming and hanging out with us uh, uh, via the web as well. We definitely feel so blessed to have every single one of you here. Uh, and the fact that you come and you want to listen to me talk to you for however long I'm about to talk to you for, uh, I'm not going to give you a time because then you're going to hold me to it. So... Uh, we just think it's incredible. So thank you for being a part of the family here and coming to be a part of today as we continue this series on Nehemiah. Now I'm going to warn you today, uh, I have quite a bit of ground to cover because uh, this week I have three chapters to cover because someone last week decided they were only going to cover one chapter. <laughs> Must be nice to be the boss. <laughs> He's not in here, so I can say whatever I want right now. Now, really, the way we design this is, you know, whatever chapters fit together. And as you saw last week, Pastor Tim had uh, chapter three, which is almost like reading the phone book. And we're very grateful about the job that he did with that chapter to help us to see what God would want us to hear in and through that. Today, we're looking at chapters four, five, and six. And as we look at that, there are actually two things we have to tackle. One is the reason we brought all these together is because it, they deal with opposition. And as we do uh, what God wants us to do, we're going to face opposition. So how do we deal with that? But before we even get to that, often when we face opposition, it makes us question and wonder if what we're doing is what we're supposed to be doing. You ever had that? Where you, you, for some reason you're like, oh, I think I'm supposed to be doing this, and I've been praying about it, I've been doing this, but now I have all this opposition. So many things are fighting against this. How do I know that this is really what I'm supposed to be doing? And that has to be the first question we ask ourselves is how do we know for sure that this is what God is calling us to build and fight for? So as I ask you that question we've been asking all throughout this series, what does God want to rebuild in your life? I want us to make sure that that answer isn't just something we want, but instead, what is it that we want? What is it that we feel that we're called to have rebuilt in our lives that actually fits within God's promises? Because again, you're going to run into opposition, Opposition, lack of opposition is not something God promises. Often uh, we hold God to promises he didn't promise. God fulfills, God follows through on every single one of his promises. Amen. But what I'd ask you, what I'd challenge you is this. What are you holding God to? In the next slide, what are you holding God to that he actually didn't promise? I've heard it from so many people and from so many, through so many different situations and circumstances where we say, well, why isn't God doing this for me? And I feel like this is what God wants for me. And why isn't this happening? And why did this bad thing happen? Because why would God want this for me? And there are some things that God just doesn't promise. 
And lack of opposition is one of them. He doesn't promise that. In fact, he just, he kind of promises the opposite. He tells us there's going to be trials and trouble. So how do we know when to persevere and how do we know when to take a step back? And so we're going to look at that before we dive into our text for today, which like I said, is Nehemiah four through six. It's on page 400 in the chair Bibles in front of you or underneath your seats if you're in the front row. Or you can pull out your phones and uh, look there as well, or go on BibleGateway.com if you're joining us online to see Nehemiah chapter 4 through 6. But before we dive into that, we have to take a look. How do we know that what we're looking at and the opposition we're getting isn't something that God's really trying us to drive away from, and instead it's something we need to continue to drive through? So for me, I have to look back at Nehemiah, because Nehemiah is the one that's going to face all this opposition, and we can see his response. We're going to talk about his responses. How does he know to continue to press on? Well, if we look back at this, we realize Nehemiah didn't just want to rebuild the wall. It wasn't just something within him. It was something that he prayed about. What we love about Nehemiah is he prays over and over and over again, and then he fasts and he prays and he fasts and he prays, and if you think he's prayed too much, he's going to pray again. He prays a lot. But again, it's not just a prayer, because often I think what we do is we pray for what we want, and then we think we hear yes, because we want to hear yes. But what did Nehemiah do? Nehemiah then went to God's word. He actually went to, if we look at Nehemiah chapter 1, the next slide, he says this. This is, this is him talking to God, quoting God back to himself. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. He knows God's word. He has been in it. He, he tells God, this is what I sense that you're doing, and here's your word that backs up that calling. What I feel that needs to be rebuilt, God, I can back it up with your word. It's that revealed and inspired word of God that carries Nehemiah through so much. And so what I'd ask you is, as you consider what God wants to rebuild in your life, is it just something you're praying about, or is it something that you can also point to God's word and say, here's, here's where I back that up. Here's what I think. God would say about that. But I'll push you one step farther because Nehemiah didn't stop there. Nehemiah then also went to so many others, so many other faithful uh, believers and people who would trust in God, and he got their feedback. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, the way that I see it, the way that we know what Nehemiah's answer was, the, God's answer to Nehemiah was when the rest of the people said, let's rise up and build. So he went to them and he said, hey, here's what I think. Here's what I think God is calling us to. What do you think? And so for you in your life, who are those faithful people that you can go to and you can lean on and you can say, hey, here's what I think God's calling me to. Here's his word that I think is revealing this to me. What do you think? And then be ready and willing to listen to the feedback that they have for you. Those are the things that I think that we need to hold on to because we've all been there where someone tells us they think God is calling for something in their life or even in your life and you're going, man, I don't think that's right. I think God's calling you to, or me to do this or to do that. And how do you know when there's competing interests? How do you know when it seems like God is telling people two different things? Well, I think a lot of this would be solved by the fact if we actually go to God's word and then we talk to trusted people, people who also pray and read God's word, but also people who allow other spiritual leaders to speak into them. That's what's going to help us to kind of uh, navigate through these challenges in our life, especially when opposition hits. Because opposition is going to hit. So as we look at Nehemiah 4 through 6, that's exactly what we see over and over again, is opposition coming from so many different angles. And so the opposition that we, we can face and Nehemiah face, 
faces, it comes from different places. The first place we see is opposition coming from outside of us, from others, from those that honestly can be just enemies for what God wants to do in our lives. We've seen it. We've seen people who just seem to want what's not good for us. They don't want us to succeed. Uh, we've had instances where, where the devil works through people and in people to try and hinder what God wants to do in our lives. And we see this as clear as day in Nehemiah in both chapters 4 and 6, and it's with the same guy, a guy named Sanballat. I think he just didn't like his name. But <laughs> in chapter 4 we see, so Sanballat here is an enemy, right? He's just trying to come at Nehemiah is trying to come at them and says, when, now when Sambalat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And then Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, uh, and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. Literally, they're just making fun of them. If we see what they're doing, they're, they're taunting them. They're jeering them. Like, you can't do this. What are they, who do they think they are? Who do they think they are that they're going to accomplish something like this, this grade of magnitude? And here's the thing. They don't get over it. They don't stop here. In chapter 6, we see the same guy. He had sent letter after letter after letter to Nehemiah, basically trying to convince him to come talk to him because he was going to convince him that he was wrong to rebuild this wall. He was trying to just stop it. And this is what it says. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me, to Nehemiah, with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you were building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem that there is a king in Judah. Now the king will hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Do you see what Sam Ballot's doing? He's trying to spread rumors. He's saying, look, nobody trusts your motivations here. Everybody thinks that you have an ulterior motive. There's something wrong here. We need to address this. Why don't you come to me? If you don't come to me, if we don't talk, I'm going to go and tell the king and make sure the king knows this. Make sure the king knows that you're about to rebel, and that's why you're doing what you're doing. Clear opposition from the outside. There's nothing good in this. There's nothing healthy in this. He's not saying, here's what God said, or here's what my prayer said, or here's what God's word reveals. This is simply insecurity on his own part and trying to fight against it. But the worst part is, is that not, not only do we face opposition from the enemies, from people outside of us, so often we face it from within ourselves as well. Maybe from our own families, our own faith families, from each other. We've all seen it happen, and maybe you've been hurt by someone in the church. Maybe you've had some opposition for something that you know it's supposed to happen because of what God's revealed and because of godly leaders, and you've had others, maybe even in this place, that have fought against you. We see it in Nehemiah. We see it again in chapters 4 and chapters 5. In chapter 4, it says this, At the time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So the Jews, these are their people. Their own people, their own faith family is coming to them and saying, come home to us. Ten times. Ten times they come to them. Why? They're guilting them. Stop focusing. Stop putting your efforts there. You need to put your efforts back home with us. Stop doing that, built, that wall thing. Just come back home with us. They're trying to guilt them away from what God has called them to, their own people. And we see it again in chapter 5. It says, now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers, against their brothers. These are their faith family. 
What had happened for years and years was, it says, the former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But Nehemiah didn't do that. And here's what happened because of that. Because they had to keep paying these huge taxes, they had to literally mortgage their property. They mortgaged their children as servants to people to be able to pay these taxes. And so this outcry was our own brothers are taking advantage of us. We We can't build because we can't even survive. What are we going to do? And unfortunately, it's not always the enemy. Sometimes it's people within us, people who think maybe they're doing the right thing and they're really not. It's their own insecurities or their own struggles that come against us or make us struggle. Or maybe, maybe that opposition actually comes from within me. Because there's a lot of those times, too, where I think we can face those questions where we, we see what God wants to build in us. We see what God wants to do in us. But, but we doubt. And we'll say, God, I, I know you want to build this wall in my life, and I know you want to do this in my life, but, man, I, I've tried so many times, and I just keep failing. Why try again? Or, man, I, I had that sin in my life, and I, I keep thinking I'm through it and I'm over it, but it just seems like it's so easy to fall back into it. Why even try? And we see those doubts played on here in chapter 4. In chapter 4, we see in Judah it was said, so these are people that are saying it to the people building the wall, but listen to what they're picking on. They're picking on doubt within the builders themselves. It says, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. They're picking on within themselves. They're saying, look, there's no way you can do this. Just just listen to yourselves. It's too much. Look at what's around you. There's too much around you. So when I think about opposition to what God wants to do in our lives, I think so often that that's what we struggle with. We struggle with those people that are outside of us. We struggle with some people in our own families and faith families. But so much of that doubt comes from within ourselves. We look around, we look at our family situation, or we look at our own life, or we look at our faith life, or whatever it is that God would want to rebuild in your life, and we go, there's just so much rubble. My, fa- my, my strength is failing. I just, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. So opposition comes over and over again. And when I think about that, I think so many parts of my life I can look at opposition trying to get me away from what God's called me to in so many different realms. I can think even ministry, uh, getting into ministry. When I was a teenager, honestly, I so wish that there was a Bible verse that said, John Crawl, you should be a pastor. That would have been great. That would have been very helpful. Um, anybody else want their own Bible verse in there that says what they should be doing? Yeah, amen to that. I wish. So I don't necessarily have that to go to. I mean, I can read about how God has gifted us and we should live out our giftings and our strengths. I get that. But I remember in high school, uh, having a single mom meant that I had to work. So I had to go to work, and, um, uh, but I loved being at church. And so I kept this struggle going of, I love to be at church, but I got to work. I love to be at church, but I got to work. I love to be at church, but I got to work. And some, at some point, it dawned on me, hey, someday I could work at church <laughs> and put those together. It's going to be great. And I start feeling this call towards ministry. I still remember in youth group, we had this one night where we went around the room and we told everybody in the room something that we were just impressed by in them, something that was positive about them. And over and over again from teenagers like myself at the time, hearing words of affirmation about my ability to be in ministry and what they see in me. And even my pastor at the time, who I still love and admire, him speaking into my life and saying, 
saying so many positive things about what he saw as my abilities and the giftings that were in me to go into ministry. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you, so many positive things like that don't stop the doubts, don't start, stop the opposition. Even getting into college, I went to college to become a pastor, and I allowed so many other people whose words spoke negatively to me to make me go, you know what, you're right, I'm, I'm not good enough to be a pastor. I got too many struggles, I got too much baggage, I, there's no way that this is what God's calling me to be. And so I still went to ministry, but I, I found another route, and I didn't become a pastor, and I will oh, just put it back on God. I said, God, if you want to be a pastor, I guess you're going to figure it out. Then I got to this crazy church, <laughs> and you guys said you should be a pastor. But even before that, I, I still remember that same pastor of mine that I had growing up. I got to see him again. Um, it was actually at my grandma's funeral. My grandma had passed away, and he, he had just loved her so much and thought so much of her that he came back in from out of town to be at her funeral. And I remember a funeral uh, for so many reasons, but one of the things that I remember is that uh, my grandma always wanted me to do the message at her funeral. It was one of her requests. Well, the pastor that was there is a different pastor than what I'd grown up with. The pastor at the time at her church, at my home church, um, wasn't a big fan of anybody who wasn't a pastor giving the message, and so he wouldn't let me. So he said, you can talk, but you'll talk after the service. Okay. Now I get it. I'm still in ministry at the time. I'm, you know, I, I was a little frustrated, but he said, you can talk after the service. You can share some thoughts. Share some thoughts. I did. Uh, my grandma wanted me to give a message. So guess what? I still gave a message. <laughs> Most poor people had to sit through two messages that day. <laughs> but I'll never forget that pastor of mine that I had growing up who was sitting out in the crowd that day. When he came up to me, and, and I, what a difficult day that was for me, to walk up to me and to say, he said, that guy, that other pastor, he should just let you do the message. That was way better than his. <laughs> and I just remember that word of encouragement from him yet again, even on one of the most difficult days. Because here's the thing. I'm not here, and I'm not talking to you because there's anything special about me. Pastor Tim and I talk about it all the time. There are people that know us all the way through growing up who will see what we do and go, it's amazing that you got to where you are today. <laughs> and we go, amen. And they say, but it's clearly God. It's clearly God. And as we look at what happens in our lives, as we look at what is God calling you to rebuild in your life, what is it that he desires for your life, we realize it's not that it's going to be a lack of opposition. It's not that it's going to be anything other than our God who is for you. See, when we look at Nehemiah over and over again, why would we have a whole story about a wall being rebuilt? Why do we have this in here? Except for a God of ours who says, I care about every single part of your life. We see that in the fact that he sent his own son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you and for me, and not just as a ticket to heaven. When Jesus was asked why he came, it wasn't just to get you into heaven one day. It was to give you life and life to the full, even now. Amen. And so when we look at what God wants to do in our lives, as we look at what is God going to rebuild in us, even when we face opposition, it's not a lack of opposition that's going to keep us or that's going to allow us to do what God wants us to do. It's not that it's just easy. It's not that we're strong enough or we're good enough. It's that if God is calling you to it, his strength and his might and his glory are going to be what carries you through it. Because this is what our God is. Our God was for his people then. He is for his people now. He is for us. He is for you. He is for me forever. 
That is the value that he has for you and for me. And so as we look at all these situations from that angle, as we see how Nehemiah then responds to the opposition, we see that played over and over and over again, that our God is for us, and that's why we can persevere. That's why we can see what God would want to rebuild in our lives. We see, we see in the next slide, we see that God's promises persist beyond opposition. So in chapters 4 and 6, that's where we read about that fun guy named Sanballat. We read about what he was trying to do and what he was going after. And we see the answers. If we see in the next slide, we see the answers in 4.6. It's, so Sanballat came after him and said, what do you think you're doing? A fox is going to, you know, the, the other guy said, fox is going to crawl on it and it's all going to crumble. And Nehemiah said, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. By chapter 4, we're already halfway done. By halfway done. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because their God is that amazing. Our God is that amazing. And Sam Ballad, again, he was the one that kept after him and sent letter after letter after letter, trying to convince Nehemiah to come meet with him and take counsel with him rather than what he was supposed to be doing. And this is what he said back to him. I sent, I sent to him saying, no such things, all that stuff that he was making up, as you have say, have been done. For you are, are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. This is not about me. This is not about proving Sanballat wrong. This is not about the fact that they're coming after us and he's just creating these false lies against me. This is the fact that our God is going to strengthen our hands and our God is going to complete what he wants to complete. So as you think about your life, think, what is it that you need to keep going back to your God and going back to what he has called you to complete? When you think about even opposition from within ourselves, we, we all struggle with that. Even from our own families, our own faith families. We have people who don't believe in us or we have people who question or doubt. That grandma of mine that I love dearly, she was everything to me. When I first told her about being a pastor, she was one of them that said, are you sure? But it was more because she knows what pastors go through. And she saw some of her favorite people who were pastors get burnt out and pushed out of ministry because they weren't treated so well. I was just talking to a pastor who's no longer in ministry, and the reason he's no longer in ministry is because he couldn't take it anymore. He said, you know, John, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't go down the three steps. They had three steps just like we do here. So I couldn't go down the three steps after my message on a Sunday without someone meeting me somewhere in between to tell me about how badly I had done or how I needed to do better. The church is not always the nicest place. So the challenge to us is how can we change that? Sometimes the church needs to be called out. Sometimes our faith families and our families need to be called out for the negativity that they're spreading for the way that they're getting in the way. And they don't realize. Sometimes it's just their own insecurities and their own fears that are driving that. And they don't realize that. They think they're doing something for God when in fact they're not. They're fighting against what God would want to do. And you see that again in the, in the response to the fact that our God brings faithful family members to help fulfill our needs, but also to fight for our, on our behalf. So when we look at the responses, remember the fulfill our needs is all about a response to when they were taxing each other. They were taking from each other. And what did Nehemiah do? Nehemiah called it out. You see on the next slide, Nehemiah called it out. And he said, we can't be doing this anymore. And what did God do? God worked in and through their hearts for them to say, oh, okay. We need to support them. We need to change this around. And they gave back all that they had mortgaged, all that they had taken from their fellow brothers and sisters, and they gave it back to them. Even in chapter 4, we see the response after Sanballat had come. We see the people wanting to fight 
for what they believed in, the fight on your behalf. Who is it in your life that has been called to help fulfill your needs, but also to stand ready for battle to fight on your behalf? See, our God, our God wants to work in a mighty way. And what we read in chapter 4 was they were so willing to fight for what God had put as what needed to be rebuilt that they were building with one hand and they had a, uh, a spear in the other. So I'd ask you that. Who is it that needs you and who is it that you need? And last but not least, our God grants favor over fear. Our fear can so drive every decision we make and how we step into certain situations and how we don't. And even when, even when Judah tried to pick on the fear of the builders, tried to say, how could you ever get this done? Here's Nehemiah's response in chapter 4. The next slide. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He doesn't stand there and say, remember how much we've accomplished already. Remember your strength and your might. Remember what you bring to the table. No, he says, remember our God who is awesome and great. Remember what he brings to the battle. And so as you start to contemplate and think about what is it that God would want to rebuild in your life, what is the wall that God wants to build in your life? What's that wall that he wants to build in your life? What good is he trying to keep in? What hope and what relationships is he looking to restore and to protect? What danger is he looking to try and keep out? What sin is he trying to keep away from you? What is it that our God wants to rebuild in your life because our God wants to rebuild? And then think about who are those people that will come alongside of you? Who are those faithful family members who will fulfill your needs and fight on your behalf? Think about where's your own fear getting in the way of what God wants to do in and through your life. I'm going to ask you this because I want you to take this seriously. It's so easy to sit there week in and week out and go, well, that was a good message. I feel good. And then you leave and it doesn't impact you at all. But I'm going to challenge you over the next two weeks. I want you to spend some faithful time from now until November 4th. The next time I get to preach to you, I want you to think about what is it that God wants to rebuild in your life? But not just think about it. I want you to think about it like Nehemiah thought about it. I want you to pray about it. I want you to pray and to pray and to pray some more. And then I want you to read God's word and see what does God's word tell you about that? Because is this really something you want or is this something God wants? And then I want you to take counsel. I want you to talk to the people around you, the people that are faithful followers of Jesus, the people who are, you know what? Some of them, they're going to be willing to tell you if you're nuts. You need friends like that. You need faithful people like that. Because if they're just always telling you you're right, that's probably their own insecurity of just wanting to be liked. That's not actually faithful help. So over these next two weeks, I'm going to challenge you. Think about what does God want to rebuild in your life? Because our God is in the business of rebuilding and restoring and repairing lives. This is not a small thing. When we look at Nehemiah, when we look at why does God give us this? And out of all this, why does he take up so many of these pages with the book of Nehemiah? Why does he spend so much time to rebuild a wall? 
And I'm convinced it's because over and over again, our God wants us to see how he restores and rebuilds and how he is for his people forever. Because we see it, we see a wall that was destroyed for over 100 years, over 100 years. That in and of itself was enough to make people doubt, to make people wonder if they could actually get something done, if they could rebuild it. And yet by chapter 6, by chapter 6 of our text today, we read this. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies, all those people that tried to fight us, when they heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God, not just with the help, but through him and because of him. All of it was him. So here's the thing. Sometimes things happen in our planning, and we do. We, we plan out a lot. And we try to plan so much in this place. But then our God just like overplans and does way better than we could ever dream. And sometimes we, things happen, and we just let you think that we're that amazing, but it really it's, it's God. <laughs> but I'm going to let you in on a little secret. The reason why I think we're called to preach on Nehemiah right now during this time is I think that God really does want to rebuild or restore something. Maybe you're fighting it or maybe you're going, no, my life's kind of okay. I'd push in on that. I said, maybe there's a relationship that God really does want to restore. Maybe there is something more he wants to do in your life with him. Maybe there is a sin that you struggle with. I can look at my own life and see there's forgiveness that I need to give that I struggle because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'm just not strong enough to live in that forgiveness or sin that I continue to go back to even though I keep fighting it over and over. And What does God want to do in your life? And here's why I'm so convinced that God has something to do in your life because it's not about, by coincidence that we're preaching this right now. See, I gave you the date of November 4th as the date to come back here and be ready to declare what it is that God is rebuilding in your life. Because I, I see that God gave 52 days to rebuild. And you know what 52 days, including November 4th is? After November 4th? It's Christmas Day. Christmas Day, December 25th, 1225. 52 days after I give you two weeks to think about and to pray about it. You have 52 days to see what God is going to rebuild and restore in your life. If you go back to the text, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul. Well, Elul, the way it would fit in our calendar is really like August, September, but if you look into the months, that was the 12th month of the Jewish civil calendar. What's the 12th month of our civil calendar? December. And they finished it on the 25th day of the 12th civil month. And 52 days after November 4th, including November 4th. It's going to be the 25th day of the 12th month of our civil calendar. We didn't plan that. But our God did. So here's what I'm going to call to you, whether you're here or you're joining us online, wherever it is, our God has something more for you. He desires more for you. And so I pray, don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss what God wants to do in and through your lives because our God is for you. He was for his people then. He is for his people now. He is for you. He is for me. He is for us forever. And not just for eternity, but eternity starts now. He wants to be in your life now. He wants to be rebuilding and restoring now.
And that's why he allows us to come to him and to experience even communion, where we get Jesus' very body and blood, where, you know, we don't even understand it. We don't understand, how is that Jesus in there? And yet, we believe it because he said it. I mean, if the guy can rise from the dead, I'm going to believe him when he says, take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this is my blood. And if you're new with us here today, they're going to put the communion statement up there. If you don't know what we believe or want to know more, you can read that. But here's the thing. This is what our God offers to us because he is for you. He says, look, not only do I give you this to remind you and to give you forgiveness, I give you a piece of myself, but I also offer you an opportunity to confess to me. All those things that you think that are for you that really aren't, they're draining you. They're not for you. Those sins, those things that you've struggled with, our God says, shed them off and give them to me. And so that's what we're going to do right now as we turn to our God, as we pray to him and we confess to him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you so grateful, God, that you are for us. God, we don't deserve it. There is nothing about us that makes us worthy. But God, you are mighty and you are awesome. You are the one who makes all things new. And so God, wherever there is destruction in our lives, wherever there is sin in our lives, God, we need you to make that new. So God, right now in this moment of quiet, in this time of silence, God, we ask you, we ask you to hear the ever small voice inside of us as we confess to you and lift up to you those things that we struggle with and those sins and burdens we still carry. thank you for being for us thank you that we can lift up everything even the deepest darkest places within us God we can turn it over to you and God because you're for us you'll take away all that stuff that we keep trying and grasping onto thinking that it's going to help us and really it just keeps dragging us down so God thank you that you sacrificed it all on the cross for us and defeated even death itself that now now we get to be forgiven we get to be restored and rebuilt and repaired. We be made just like new. God, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.